A very warm welcome to the Change Conversations podcast, where we help individuals to reignite the spark to look at their lives and careers with a different lens. Our interactions interrogate different individuals of all backgrounds who seek to be equipped for change in their careers and personal goals. I am your host, Mbumengu Betaga, and I look forward to bringing you impactful change conversations. Any information being shared here is not intended, nor does it constitute financial, tax, legal, investment, or other advice. Before making any decision or taking any action regarding your finances, you should consult a qualified financial advisor. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. So for anybody who's um, listening to us today, I've got Rappelang. And we are going to be talking about generational wealth. As you guys know, I've started this series on generational wealth, and it's all for my own benefit more than other people. But I hope somebody will gain something out of it. Because I just keep saying I, I need to do something about it. Um, I've got my own issues around money and wealth, which I think I'm trying to heal through this process of having these conversations. And yeah, so if you're following us, thank you for following us. And if you're not, and it's the first time you're visiting us, please subscribe, like, comment, do all the things that people do on social media. Rappelang, how are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. And thanks yeah. for being here. I love it. I love it. Absolute pleasure. Anything for a former client. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rapelang. Um, so please, please introduce yourself. Sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Rapelang. And I would describe myself as a, as a technology entrepreneur for the last 15 years. I've been doing all sorts of businesses in the space. And even though I wasn't, you know, born into programming, I kind of really just started to appreciate the, the sector because you could just build so much stuff from your imagination and it could actually be used to, to improve the socioeconomic outcomes of, of countries and communities and societies. So that's why I'm so passionate about the space and why I'm still in it. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. So for everybody, I met Rappelang in my previous life when I was still in corporate. <laughs> I make it sound like I've left corporate for a very long time, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it feels long, I'm sure. <laughs> no, it does. But yeah, and, and Rapilang um, helped some of us to explore some ideas. And, and I hope some of those ideas will come to fruition at some point in time. Some of these things take longer than, than we expect. Yeah. But yeah, so I gave Rapilang a few topics that I wanted us to talk about. And she kind of dismissed all the entrepreneurial stuff and wanted to focus and wanted to focus on generational wealth. Mm. And why is that, Rapelang? What is your view of generational wealth or your definition of generational wealth? Sure. I think for me, the reason I didn't want to do the entrepreneurship stuff is just I've, I think I, I talk a lot about it already. And, you know, there's there's lots of stuff there. So I also wanted to challenge myself with, with a topic I don't generally, you know, cover. So for me, um, I always 
you know, reflect on, you know, why are we, why are we alive? Why are we on this earth? Why do my parents work so hard? Why do we work so hard, etc.? And it's it's important to me, I think, and when I look at the concept of generational wealth, to understand how do we position essentially the the generation that follows us um, for better and for greater success and prosperity, so that we're not all starting from the same base. And my children can start here. My grand great grandchildren can start there, and we're able to then do more as a result of life. I think that we need to, for me, it's about standing on the shoulders of giants. And if you're standing on the foundation someone else made, you can then achieve more. You can do more. You can do different things. Um, And I think that helps society progress. And it's one of the topics, um, generational wealth, that means a lot to me because I don't think we discuss it and plan it enough in, in, in African families. Um, a good friend of mine, Ilza Alberts, is actually an expert in generational wealth, and she's been trained all over the world around this and works with families on, on, on how they improve and transfer wealth so that, you know, the next generation doesn't squander it. And the, the formula or the theory behind it is that once your family achieves seven generations of wealth, then you're pretty much guaranteed that the wealth will stay in the family. Whereas oh, a lot wow. of us wonder seven happens. generations. Seven generations. And they I don't think there are seven generations in South Africa yet. We're getting close, but um, those are in the in the US and, and Europe. Um, and, you know, we're still battling to get past the third and fourth generation or even the second squandering the work of the previous. Oh, wow. And you talk about squandering and all the people that I've spoken to, they say to me, Bume, you, look, you sound like the person who wants to rule from the grave. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I just keep going, okay, you've worked this hard. You've mm. put a base for, for your kids. But then yeah. there's just this one, like the one <laughs> who just goes and and everything just, it's like you've never worked hard. I, I think yeah. that for me just gives me like, sure. no. So sure. how do we how do we make sure that you don't have somebody that squanders? <laughs> It's 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 a it's a tricky thing. I'm still learning. You know, the 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 challenge often is that you know the the first generation that makes the money that grew out of poverty, um, the children that they raise know no poverty, they know no scarcity, they know no lack, um, and one would need to you know take very deliberate actions to impart the values that that first generation grew up with without imposing the scarcity. And I think that's where, you know, things go wrong and you really need to, I think, you know, partner with these kind of um, wealth or coaches of sorts to, to understand how do, you, how do you impart these lessons to your children and how do they see the, the bigger picture so that you're, you're all working off a common set of values. And when you grew up very differently to your children, I think it's, it's often hard to appreciate how could I impart these values without making my children poor. And, and a lot of the time, um, I think a lot of parents, you know, when they when they get out of the stage where they are poor or struggling, they are really wanting to make sure that their children never feel that because they're embarrassed about that place in their mm-hmm. life. And those kind of feelings of shame and guilt and embarrassment contribute to your inability then to, to transfer the values that your next generation is going to need. 
Um, so I, I think it, it needs very deliberate action. And one must, as an individual, you know, you mentioned we all have our issues with money. So we must all come to, we must still all process and actively process what is what are some of those issues with money? What is my shame around not having money? And if I hide that shame from my children, am I then um, not imparting some valuable lessons? How do I, how do I, yeah, how do I impart some of those values? And I think if I had children, I would be spending a lot more time on that. I, I still have a bit of time. So I'm I'm taking my chances, haven't fully figured it out. But I think it would it would need to start with, with that. Um, the other thing maybe I think about um, before it runs away from my mind is when I started going into this topic of generational wealth, I mean, I would ask myself, how do we get, you know, family institutions and empires like the Rothschilds, the, um, the Rockefellers, where, where, how do those come about? And for me, um, just living my life of 80 years, having a blast, just doesn't mean much if we haven't built an institution or built some kind of um, lasting value. And, and that's why, for me, the, the concept of generational wealth means so much to me, because we're all born and we'll all die. So shouldn't we try and make this time as useful and productive and maximize maximize it. And, and that's why I sort of pursue these questions and why I like, you know, a lot of the Asian approaches and Chinese philosophies where they are only planning with a 50 year or 100 year time frame, as opposed to, you know, when I finish paying off my car in five years or when I finish paying off my mortgage in 20 years, that's sort of the furthest kind of look or horizon. And for me, mm the reason the Asians and the Chinese are growing so fast is precisely because they have been working on their hundred year plan. Wow. We, as you say, we barely think about the five year plan. Like when somebody yeah. asks you what's your five year plan, it seems like, Oh, it's too far. I hope by that time I would have paid off the car. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And when you're talking about a 50 year old plan, that just seems too far out and I, I I think we can't even visualize it sure and and they always say when you can't visualize anything how can you make it come to fruition True. you know yeah 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 and I think that's no. that's the learning that we need to do so I mean as soon as in, in in this next gap I have in sort of work and mind space I really do want to engage more on with these sort of wealth coaches and how you would go through that the biggest challenge I just think that we haven't heard anyone have the conversation we haven't looked at anyone's sort of plan anyway or yeah looked at the challenges and considerations they have made so it's very difficult for us to to make um that decision you know there's advice online on podcasts on how you buy a house but not on you know generational wealth yeah and hence the reason why i i thought let me start this conversation because as i said i'm just trying to heal my own issues and if there's somebody who walks the journey with me, I think I think that's that's the great part. And yeah. and with a view of literally then speaking to people that are working with these things on a day-to-day -day basis, who can then give us the lowdown on what is the best way to do it? And and for me, mm -hmm. it's also looking at it from a black professional perspective, because we've come out of university and nobody has ever taken the time 
to yeah. to take us through wealth except being spoken to about saving yeah. and then we get overdrafts and credit cards everybody is going to get sick of me talking about that part because that's the part i'm still healing <laughs> <laughs> and I, and i get very triggered and angry about that the banks just give us credit cards and overdrafts yes. Yeah, I think yeah. there's a bigger conversation just from day one that mm. can be, this is how you can start with the wealth conversation because it's not the conversations that we had at our homes. Our mothers and our parents didn't know. Mm. Um, they also just knew about saving, if at all, but yeah. nothing more than that. Exactly, exactly. And one of the few organizations that I found really, really helpful and speaking really to the Black middle class is Life Check. Um, it's a much more sort of progressive contemporary financial advisor, and they do a lot of online talks too. And they actually walk you through a journey of um, if you graduated at 20 from university and you bought a car first and you splurged on this and that versus if you save this money, if you um, bought a secondhand car and started a side business what what's the prognosis you know outcome 20 years later and they've got all these sort of nuggets for you to to help you ensure that you can essentially guarantee you don't regress in terms of your wealth class but you actually also build on so that your children are not getting a student loan to try and finish university and they look at all of these dynamics and black tax and how you, you know, manage all of those things. So I think they're emerging. They, the middle class um, as Africans is still very largely underserved, but um, organizations like, like Life Check that I use are, have been really enlightening for me. Okay. No, that's great to know because mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of Life Check things, but I've seen more, I've seen more of the event staff. Okay. And, and have not engaged with exactly what is the business about. And yeah, and, and, yeah okay. No, yeah. that's great. Come I think, on. I think they great. do have a talk on black tax. And um, yeah, I can't remember what the one that I've just mentioned was called. But yeah, I think as a member, you can get access to all of them. Okay. No, 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 that's great. So yeah. how do we, so as a professional, how do you get to a point where there is just comfort around talking about money and there isn't the shame and the embarrassment and mm-hmm. and and it becomes it doesn't become a taboo um conversation like yeah. how do we change that as a as a as a black nation very 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 hard stuff there and because I've become I started as an entrepreneur very early on in my career I had to have more um, what sort of radically honest conversations about about money um, early on. And, you know, one of the conversations I had with myself uh, finishing university and deciding not to go into corporate was, look, you're going to need to still live like a student. And um, Rappelang, I said to myself, Rappelang, I'm giving you two vices in the world. It's It's wine and fabulous food. The rest of those things you know, um, buying clothes for every event or manicures or all of these very, yeah, fancy, lovely things to do. I just never got into it. And and I stuck to those principles. I was clear on what I was willing to give up. And I think a lot of the time when people 
you know, say I want this, I want to achieve this in my career. It's easy to decide what you want, but you need to also do the flip side. What are you giving up for that? And I think if you have that conversation, it'll it'll help you identify then financially, what are you also giving up and not just what you want to go for. And we don't have that giving up conversation intentionally. Um, And I think that could be one starting point. The second starting point, um, I do a lot of coaching and, and therapy work, and a lot of it is about understanding myself and my triggers, such that when you feel triggered, when people talk about money or having a lot of money, what is it in you that's what's getting triggered so that you don't feel like you have to keep up with them or you have to come up with a similar story? How do you become conscious of that trigger within yourself and you know, hear out your the child in you that, you know, wants to keep up with the Joneses, but have the awareness to step out of that and say, actually, I have I have decided what I want and I don't need to go down this path. It is not a direct reflection of it is not a reflection at all, rather, of my value and um, as a human being or person and getting that comfort with with feeling okay and enough and self-sufficient as you are, I think is so, so important. And, you know, people will often say, if I have a million bucks, of course, I'll feel like I'm enough or something. But the reality is that there are people with a billion rands and still don't feel enough. Yeah. And this, this thing is far more around you and how you perceive yourself and your underlying beliefs that are so deeply buried that you you can't you know unearth them by yourself and those are the things that you know those are the behaviors where you will spend recklessly or spend at the last minute or make major financial commitments as a reflex because you're actually acting out on an inbuilt belief and you're just on autopilot you're not yet conscious of those behaviors and decisions that you make so I know one of my friends, for example, um, and I've, you know, I've observed him do this many, many times and running his own business, it becomes, it becomes difficult, but he seems to always need to, um, whenever someone asks for payment or money, he feels the need to, to give it. And he can't wait the seven day or 30 day payment time because it feels, it reflects on him negatively. Um, and he wants to be seen that he can, you know, make this payment right, right now. Um, and what, how then that crippling that can become as an entrepreneur. Yeah, because then it affects your cash flows, right? Exactly. It affects your cash flows. It means that people can abuse that part of you that needs that affirmation that I need to make this payment now to demonstrate that I have money, that this is a small amount of money. It doesn't affect me. Um, and, and then their need to feel that drives that, um, you know, a negative behavior that isn't helpful for the business long term. Yeah. And and I was having a conversation with somebody and, and Uvangile, and she always says, it's never about money. You know, how you behave with your money becomes just a symptom of a whole lot of other things. So the question becomes, what is it about? And you taking the time to figure out and taking yourself through the process of figuring out that this behavior, what is it about? Because it's not about money, whether money is there or not there. 
like what is at the core of, of this behavior, which can be very difficult because sometimes introspecting is something else, right? Most people don't like to introspect. In fact, there's a study that was done that um, I think they asked the participants in the in the exercise or experiment, would you rather get electric shocks for five minutes or I don't know, 30 minutes, or would you rather spend time alone, not doing anything, not able to talk to anyone and self-reflect? And the majority of people went with the electric shocks <laughs> simply because we don't want to be alone with our thoughts. So it's it's a big it thing. It says a lot. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But from <laughs> from an entrepreneurial perspective, mm. so where do you see this generational wealth conversation going? So you've always run your businesses, and mm. and what are your thoughts in in terms of being able to put this into practice? So for me, as, as an entrepreneur, I, I was always very clear that I don't just want to sell time and have a consulting business per se. I need to build intellectual property-based assets because, you know, obviously I'm in technology. Maybe if I was in property or other things, I would look at a different asset base. But for me, it was how do I build um, intellectual property that can, where the business can earn money without me having to wake up that morning? And then secondly, um, intellectual property, you know, is, is one of the areas where you can get a significant margin in, in, in gross profits, as well as significant growth in the capital value of, the, of that IP, which makes it, you know, valuable to sell or valuable um, to exit the business or to sell the business to, to, uh, to another entity, et cetera. And I wanted something that can stand outside of me. Um, so that I am not limiting my financial growth to the hours in a day, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, I'm involved in so many companies. I'm fascinated by how we, you know, create products and services that people can consume at scale that are not limited to what I can achieve in an hour or in a day, because then we can get into exponential growth. And then hopefully I can leave more um, for the next generation. Or, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be just for, for my family. I would love to be investing in, in many businesses because I think, you know, until we, we cultivate, um, you know, a greater risk capital um, in, in the country or the continent, we're not going to be able to, we're not funding the ideas that are going to solve real problems in communities and do so profitably. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was a there was a, a, a Facebook post that I saw and 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 it hit home for me because it was speaking about the Africans university that is being built and 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 all the things that are happening and how we as a black um, nation we are not coming to the party with some of these things. You know, mm -hmm. the fact that they're still schools that have pit toilets, you know, is, is something that is just, at this day and age, it's something that shouldn't be happening, you know? And I've been sitting here with this thing in sick mm -hmm. feeling in my tummy that says, what, what do we need to do? How do we, when even talking about this generational world is not just about for me and my family, how mm -hmm. do we put it into a space? And you've gone to that where it becomes a communal thing, where it becomes a thing that benefits more people. Like how does that conversation look like? 
Yo, I would love to know too, my friend. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the thought that comes to mind um, is that what I think is missing a lot in, in, in our communities, and it may be because of the disruptions and family structures and, and um, colonial mindset, destructive mindsets that many people grew up with, etc. It's, I think the, the real thing that we haven't figured out how to impart is how value is created. And I think, you know, I think, um, in a in a highly in a high functioning society, you know, you can watch your parents grow in their jobs, make more money, succeed. You've got an uncle who is growing their enterprise, and you know they they sell it to someone. You understand how people's you can see for yourself how people's daily behavior and actions creates value that translates into financial wealth and progresses them and the and their family. And I think that it's very important for the human mind to have actually observed and experienced that. So what I really worry about is when we are in communities of, of dire poverty, of, of without a social upward mobility, how do you convince people that by you know, taking care of your school and making sure that it's clean and there's no litter and what have you, it, it informs the mindset you're going to use when you start your own business or you know, when you go into a company. These are, you don't just suddenly become a better person there. You don't just suddenly change your behaviors. You've got to, you've got to, and, and going through the process of just looking after your school or environment is creating value in and of itself, not just, you know, in the property value, but in the, in the regard that people then will have for each other in the, in the communal respect and, and protecting of community assets. And, and that's the growth of community value as a starting point. And I think because people are so you know, disenchanted, um, disappointed and desperate and are not convinced that they are able to access greater wealth in their lifetime. We get to a point where you will see the counterproductive behaviors where people are not caring about the school or community right now because what's the point? I'm going to die poor anyway, right? And I don't quite know how, how we correct for that, but... I don't know how we correct for that because I feel like it's, it's, it's an extraordinary privilege for me to know and have experienced how value and progression happens because then I deeply believe it and I'm willing to work at it for decades. But if something is something you hear about, you haven't experienced it, the people around you that you know haven't experienced it, it's very hard to buy into. Um, and that experience you know, gap is, is, is a big, big challenge um, in my mind. The other thought that comes to mind is I had the opportunity to, to interview um, President Kagame of, of Rwanda a number of years ago. And I asked him, you know, what's uh, Rwanda's incredibly clean, Kigali is incredibly clean, even as a busy city. And it was, how do you guys, you know, ensure this? And what, what's, what is it about the community that ensures that, you know, communities are so clean? And for them, for him, you know, it comes back to community pride. It's like there are many things that we can't do yet as Rwandans in terms of limited access to resources or whatever else is, but there are things that we can do for ourselves. And it is important that people do the things that they can do for themselves. And it's almost an exercise in social engineering. 
and that you inculcate that mindset of caring for your environment, your assets and things, and it translates into everything else in your life. So I found that quite an interesting perspective um, from him too. Yeah. And it seems like something small, right? When you're talking mm-hmm. about it. But if if it starts just from that small thing, it, it it can be something that can be built up. And 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 as I'm talking to you, I think about the fact that from a communal perspective, we've grown up with the whole mentality of stock files and people saving together and and for the benefit of bigger things. And and it takes me to your point that you you were mentioning about we always think in a short-term perspective. The longer-term perspective of the 50 years, of the 10 years, of the 20 years, can you Mm. imagine how much we could build if some of the stockfills or the communal um, wealth creation Mm. can have Mm. those views than just rather... I need to be saving for school fees for next day or for yeah. groceries. You know what I mean? Because yes, it's so yes. it's got a very short-term uh, mindset behind it. Hundred percent. No, hundred percent. And I I don't know quite how we do it. I mean, I have um you know be known of and participated in sort of ones where you collectively buying property, but you know when you look at how you know the Chinese think it's about how you build a new city. And, and and everything that's going to fit into it. And, and that's the 50, 100-year horizon and, and things like that. Um, I'm not quite sure how we do it. Perhaps it starts with the vision and, and, and the talking to, to find those people that are also interested and, and starting to work at it together. I think seeding the idea is probably the most important piece. Yeah, because it has to start with a small seed, even if it's a... Yeah. They say mustard seed is always the smallest. <laughs> it must just start with just that thought of there is a possibility, and and because there's a possibility, then somebody can pick it up. It might yeah. not be me, but it could be somebody who's listening to this conversation and thinking, maybe, maybe let's start looking mm-hmm. at it. The younger generation, they start looking at it from a from a much from a long term um perspective. So Rappelang, if somebody was listening to us today, what are the two or three things that you just want them to take out of um, this conversation that we're having? Sure. I think the first thing I'd want to say is, you know, the, the concept of building generational wealth might seem very big and daunting, but I would say that the first, first step is investing in yourself and your skills. Um, because we have seen, you know, the data will show us that an education or really or deep expertise um, would transform or as a huge multiplier to the income you can generate in your life. Um, so while you don't feel that you can, I can invest in a trust fund for my kid, you can invest in your skills and build expertise. And in t- 10 years time, you're in a very different place in terms of what you can deliver and the value you can then demand from the market. Um, so I would start with positioning yourself to, to be able to you know, participate in the highest income generating ex- activities that you can imagine. Then the second piece I would say is that I think really working on on that inner self, the internal work of 
how your relationship with with money is. Um, do I actually believe that I deserve to make money? Um, do I believe that I can stay wealthy or is someone going to steal my money or something bad is going to happen? Do I believe that I'm deserving of, of luck and um, a good job and prosperity? Um, or do I believe that those things are out of my hands? What are what are sort of some of the the beliefs in my mind that I may not be aware of, and maybe this is where you know this is where um, coaching or, or or counseling can really help unearth some of those beliefs because we often grow up our entire lives not knowing we have them because we just grew we formed them before we were aware. And, and now as an adult, it's the responsibility is yours to go back to whatever I actually um, committed to believe a long time ago that is no longer, you know, serving my interests now. Mm-hmm. And, and that for me is what adulthood is. If you want to step out of autopilot that you slipped into as a child to being more intentional. Um, and for me, those things are key to then think about, you know, next generation of wealth and, and how you build for 50 or, or 100 years. You've got to start with yourself and preparing yourself for that future. Yeah. You, yeah. At some point, you mentioned that you, you, you invest in different um, businesses and you're involved in different businesses. Mm-hmm. So what lens do you put in to decide who who you invest in and, 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 and how does that look like for you? Most of the investments I do are sort of as part of structured programs. So I've been part of the Norskin Impact Accelerator where they chose, we chose 20 startups from around the world, half of which were from, from Africa. And um, it was deliberately looking at uh, disruptive um, businesses that could scale in, in key market verticals that have some kind of socioeconomic impact along the way. Um, So that program was highly structured, um, strong filtering process, an incubation period of of three months, et cetera. And then as a co-founder there, we we just sort of all contributed to making part of that happen. Um, So it's very structured. I don't often do sort of ad hoc um, investments outside of a structure because I really feel like to make things work, you've got to you've got to think about it holistically. It's not just one drop of money that's really going to change things for an entrepreneur. Um, so I'll think about it in, in that respect. Um, and I also, I would also probably more likely invest in, 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 in the people I went to university with. A lot of them are starting their own businesses now. Um, you know them, you've known them for a long time. You've being able to observe that diligence, that commitment to that business. Um, and it's actually within your own network, I think, is, is the most valuable place to, to start in investing because you've got access to far more information. Yeah. And, and, and for you, what are, what are those success factors that you think for you to be able to make your, your business work from an entrepreneurial perspective? What are those things mm-hmm. that you think you need to focus on? I I would start with how do do they have a really deep understanding of the 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 challenges or constraints that customers face and do they have a lived experience of those challenges and how they need to be solved so they're not just coming up with a fancy sounding idea but it's something that you know they've been exposed to throughout their life they've been working on on the side throughout their life but they are authentically 
uh, connected to this vision or this problem or this idea. And, and for me, that's important because I think it demonstrates or indicates that person's level of perseverance and um, proximity to the problem, which, which will enable them to be more innovative. The second thing I would look at is have they backed themselves before they ask other people to back them? So, you know, did they have they been working on it um, without earning or have they put in their savings and, and things into this? I, I do get frustrated with a lot of entrepreneurs today that won't start a business until somebody else funds them. Um, for me, it's very important that you back yourself first before anybody else. And however you do it, whether you have to work part-time or do consulting or work for five years and then take your savings, however you do it, everyone has a journey in that respect that, that we all need to take. Um, so, And that will also just tell me a bit about the, the maturity and commitment to the idea. Um, the third bit then is the elements of the business that are actually going to be able to scale. Um, if it's, and maybe this is why then I'm a big part or focus on technology, because for me, it's important to understand how do you scale this business beyond yourself? Um, what is the kind of intellectual property you're going to be building? How can it become more valuable? Um, and, and that'll also determine, you know, the growth potential in that particular industry. So the, the ability to grow the business beyond yourself is, is very important to me. So I, I don't think I would ever invest in a, in a sort of a consulting or hourly fee business. It, it doesn't scale beyond yourself, um, which, which means then it makes it very hard to ever recover, recover the funds. Um, I also invest, I would also think about, um, you know, probably the team you've been able to surround yourself with. It's the skills, the people are, are so crucial to get you along this journey and it's going to be utterly brutal. So <laughs> your, your mental strength and the type of people you surrounded yourself with, are they able to be in this uh, for the long run? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think those are, those are amazing. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs, and I've witnessed this, they get stuck with, with the scaling part. Yeah. And, and they get stuck with the baby because it's their baby. And, yeah. and having to let go and wanting to do everything and anything for themselves and forever and and not realizing that there's if the business can't survive without you, then it's not a business, to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. scary, in fact, to and say it's that. Self-employment. It's not, yeah, it's not a business per se. Yes. Yeah. And mm. I think I think a lot of, of people that I, I get into entrepreneurship. They just want to own it and it's about them. There isn't a view of this thing needs to leave even if I'm not here. And it needs to operate even if I decide I'm taking a month off. Yes. It must still be bringing in money, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Wow, okay. There's a lot of challenges for a lot of people <laughs> out there. But I think it's all about getting to a point where you you then start asking yourself, how can I make that work? And how can I scale? And because that's where then the money sits. 100%. And the sustainability sits and the generational wealth opportunity sits. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Rapilang, for the time. Where do people find you on social media these days? 
I really should be more active, but mostly I'm on LinkedIn. Um, please follow me there. It's you can just there aren't many that many rapelangs, so just uh, rapelang rabana there. And I am also on um, Instagram and. Yeah, I would say Instagram mainly. I'm on the other sites too, but I'm not that active. Okay, okay. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate that you, I know you're very busy, very, very busy. (laughs) No, it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah. It's important to support each other. And I think whenever someone has supported me, um, it's very easy for me to say yes. Thank you. Thank you. And, And yeah, knowing you has been good. And I think it's still going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) Most certainly. Very good luck with your journey too and keep exploring. We have to. There's no... Quitting is not an option, right? At this point, in fact, it's not an option. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Change Conversations. If you enjoyed our show and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and kindly post about it on your social media platforms. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and YouTube at Change Conversations with Mbume. I am Mbume Ngubedaga signing out and I will see you again next week.